I realize tonight that my Bible, I've had it a long time. I realize that because the first page of Philippians fell out on me. But you know what? I can insert it just so, and it'll hang on another couple years, I believe. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll meditate on some truths for the next few minutes before we take the Lord's Supper together. We're fully into the Christmas season. And this year, $400 billion will be spent on presents. That's up about 6% from last year. $400 billion. $120 billion of that will be put on credit cards. For so many people, for the vast majority of people, it's all about the gifts, plural. What gift do I need to buy that person? What's appropriate? What gift will I get from that person? We have made it all about the gifts. To God, however, it's all about the gift. The gift of His Son, the humble wrapping of putting God in human flesh, having Him incarnated in Bethlehem to grow up and be the Savior. It's not about the gifts. It's about the gift singular. And I have a hunch that for us it's about the gift singular as well. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. That's why we'll be here Sunday morning. That's why we'll be here Saturday night. It's about that great gift that God has given. And what we're about to celebrate with these elements speak of that great gift that God gave. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, gifts are getting quite expensive. I read a little article that said if we were to reproduce the 12 days of Christmas, you're familiar with that old story on the 12th, the first day of Christmas, all the way to the 12th, that to reproduce the 12 days of Christmas would cost $15,000. Now, some of the items are quite inexpensive. A partridge in a pear tree goes for $34.99. Two turtle doves are about 50 bucks. According to the Philadelphia Zoo, six geese a laying will run you about $150. But the price skyrockets when you get to things like 11 pipers piping. They go for about $1,000 a night. That's the going rate for 11-piece group of musicians. That's the low rate. Twelve drummers drumming is about another $1,000. But the ten lords a-leaping will run you about, well, $3,000 and up. So it's quite costly these days to reproduce the 12 days of Christmas. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul looks back at the time that Jesus came to this earth. And Paul in Philippians would tell us that it's about the empty gift. It's about the empty box. The present was opened in heaven and emptied on the earth. In fact, he uses a very important word in this chapter that speaks about Jesus emptying himself. He says in verse 5, Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. 
he had this incredible mind or attitude, though he was God, it says in the next verse, but making himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. It says he made himself of no reputation. Now you may have a different translation that puts it in a way that's more readily understood. He emptied himself, literally. The word that Paul chose in the language in which he wrote, the Greek language, was ekenosen. And theologians call this the great kenosis, based on the word ekenosen, which means to pour out or empty out to divest of completely, you might say, to empty to the very last drop. Picture taking a cup and holding it up, and then you stay holding it up until every drop comes out. Though Jesus was and is God, He emptied Himself. Here's the question. Here's that empty package, that empty box. What did Jesus divest Himself of? What did He empty Himself of? Well, I'll tell you what he didn't empty himself of, in case you might be prone to say his deity. It was not his deity. But I've heard people say that, yes, Jesus, God, came from heaven to earth, and he emptied himself of his deity. No, he never did. For you see, Jesus can never be at any given time less than who he is. And he is, he was, and he always will be God. So what does Paul mean when he speaks about the empty package, the empty box, the emptying of Jesus Christ? He didn't empty himself of his nature, of his character, or of his deity. This is what he did. Jesus came to this earth, and in coming to this earth, he emptied himself of the prerogatives of his deity. The ability to use the prerogatives of who he was and the free exercise of those that he had always known. For instance, number one, his glory. Jesus emptied himself of the glory that he once, on a daily, hourly, minutely basis, experienced with the Father in heaven. You remember when Jesus was praying to the Father before his crucifixion, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we presume, and we read in John 17, Jesus spoke these words, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus gave up that glory, that face-to-face interaction that he had with his Father, there in the Father's presence, fully enjoying the glory, listening to all of the adoration of the angels, all of the praise of those already in heaven, He emptied himself. He walked away from that for a period of time. And Paul calls this the great empty box. 
he poured himself out to the last drop. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was hard to look at that manger and think, oh, look, there's baby God. It just defied understanding. Because you would think if God is coming to this earth, he would make a show of it, right? He should at least be born in Rome. That's the capital of the world at that time. Why the backwaters of the Roman Empire, especially the Middle Eastern town of Bethlehem? You would think that he would be born on satin sheets. That would be befitting a king, especially the king of kings. But Matthew says, as does Luke, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. In ancient times, a mother would wrap a baby in what she called a swaddling band. It was a long, narrow strip of cloth that you would wrap the baby in like a mummy. It was believed in those days that the limbs of the child would grow the way they ought to grow if they were confined. So you picture Jesus sort of wrapped up like a cocoon, very similar to how Jesus was buried. He was wrapped in a swaddling band, these strips of cloth all the way from foot all the way up to the waist and then the hands, the arms, the shoulders, everything wrapped tightly in that cocoon. God in human flesh divesting himself, emptying himself of that glory. A second thing that he emptied himself of would be his independent authority. You know that when Jesus walked the earth, he he would say things like, I never do anything on my own. I always do what pleases the Father. My food, my meat, and my sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his will. So he emptied himself of that glory that he had. He emptied himself of that independent authority and was always waiting for the cues of the Father in his life. So that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's facing his greatest trial, he was sweating great drops of blood and being in agony. He didn't want to go through that, but he resigned himself to the will of the Father, saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered because he voluntarily emptied himself of the prerogatives of deity, not deity. And he submitted to the Father during that time and he longed for the glory that would be restored. He came into his own, the Bible says, his own people, his own nation. His own received him not. Think of that little baby growing up and hanging on a cross one day. And the Bible says Mary saw all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And there she is at the foot of the cross watching her son die a bloody, horrible execution. And maybe she at that point knew, hey, this is God. He could call down cosmic annihilation right then and there. When they stapled his arms to the cross... He could have said, oh, you want to see power, do you? Oh, wait till after the resurrection, I'll be back and you'll get yours. But all of that power, all of that glory was on hold because he had a purpose, a mission to fulfill. And that's the message we want to reinforce every Christmas. 
I found that, yes, I know it's hard even now in this country to say Merry Christmas because of lawsuits and the ACLU. And I've just discovered that whenever the ACLU decides to be against something, I'll just find out what it is and I'll be for it. Because they're against everything good and they're for everything evil, it seems like, if I look at their track record. So you can't say Merry Christmas, but I find that even worldly people will get by dealing with baby Jesus. Oh, he's cool in a, in a manger. Yeah, I kind of like the scene. It warms him up a little bit. Cow and a donkey and a few wise men and a little star above and Jesus in the manger. I'll even paint him on the front of the building time, the building at Christmas time. It's nice. The trouble is when that little baby decides to grow up, they don't like him anymore. They like him as a baby. He's containable, controllable. When he grows up, he makes demands on them. He says things like, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. He says things like, unless you're born again, you'll never go to heaven. He makes demands on the people that he created and that he died for, and he comes of age and people go, no, 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 I like Christmas. I want him to go back to being a baby. But this baby was God in human flesh, temporarily pushed aside that glory that he had with the Father, the independent use of authority that he had with the Father. Charles Spurgeon said these words, infinite and yet an infant, eternal yet born of a woman, Almighty, yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe, yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms. King of angels, yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's son. It's hard to fathom, I'll grant you that. And so Paul best sums it up by saying this. Okay, Christians, okay, church at Philippi, here's the attitude that you're to have with other people. Think like Jesus thought. He, being God and thought it not robbery to be equal or grasp being equal with God because he was, he decided I'm going to make myself of no reputation. I'll empty myself out, my glory, the prerogatives of independent authority and taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. All of the prophets spoke of him. We talked about that on Sunday. All of those prophecies that were fulfilled. Micah told us where he would be born, which was odd because... They didn't live anywhere near Bethlehem. They lived way up in the Galilee in Nazareth. And yet the prophet said in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you be small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me the one who is to be ruler in Israel. Isaiah told us, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there will be no end upon the throne of his father David to order it and to establish it from this time forth even forevermore. And those are just two of 300 that give us in predictive form who he would be. And so he came. And we celebrate tonight the very elements that are so fitting in a Christmas season to take. 
we realize the baby didn't stay a baby. He grew up and he died for me. He died for you. The blood that was shed was to cover your sin and my sin because if you know yourself to any degree, you would admit we're sinners and we need cleansing. That's the hope of the world. But better news. The one who came as a baby and grew up and died and then went back up to the Father's glory is going to come again with glory, with us, to rule and to reign over his Jerusalem, over his Israel, in that kingdom age during the millennium and then in the eternal state. He's coming again. And when he comes the second time, he comes in a very different way, doesn't he? The first time Jesus came, he came veiled in the form of a child. A star marked his arrival. Wise men brought him gifts. There was no room for him in the inn. Only a few attended his arrival. He came as a baby. But the next time that he comes, he will be recognized by all. Heaven will be lit by his glory. He will bring rewards for his own. The world won't be able to contain his glory. Every eye shall see him. He will come as sovereign king and Lord of all. You want to go home tonight and read Revelation 19, and it's spelled out there in picturesque beauty. Beauty.